Okay, we're about to jump into God's Word. We have, for the last couple of weeks, been in the Gospel of John. And we'll be studying John between now and Easter. And we get to see uh, Jesus' first miracle today uh, at a wedding. And, you know, before we read, I think it's so good to remember that Jesus went to weddings and hung out at parties and spent time with his friends and ate and drank and was a real human being. That's really basic, but it's one of those basic things that we sometimes forget, isn't it? That Jesus is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. We get to see in this one, actually, at the end, we, we, we have this wonderful comment for, from John that Jesus has revealed his glory. We see the glory of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus all together. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Starting in, excuse me, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your appearing. We're thankful for you revealing yourself to us. As we celebrate Epiphany today, it's so appropriate that we would look at this text where you revealed your glory for the first time to your disciples, maybe even to your mother. Let us see it, maybe for the first time today. At least let us see it afresh, so that we may know that it's you who fills us completely, and we may turn to you in trust. I pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Let me ask you a question to start. What do you think of Jesus? I know, weird question, right? We're in church you know, I'm for him, right? Pro-Jesus here. Uh, two enthusiastic thumbs up. But, but let's dig in a little deeper. What do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Do you think of Jesus primarily as a, a ruler, as a taskmaster of sorts? Jesus is the one who's saying, you know what? Let's get this stuff together, get you in line, stop goofing around, get to work, and let's do something here. Do you think of Jesus maybe primarily as a teacher? Is Jesus is the one where you go to learn what you need to know and what you need to do? 
Do you think of Jesus primarily as someone you're supposed to imitate? That you, you know, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And so in every situation, you're thinking, okay, how can I imitate Jesus in these ways? Now, of course, the Bible actually presents Jesus as all three of those things. Not a taskmaster, but a ruler, our king, and not just a teacher, but actually the best of teachers, and the one that we were supposed to follow, to imitate. But what do you really think of Jesus? What do you think of His character? What do you think about Him? Is He the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with? Is He somebody that you'd actually like to have over for dinner? Is Jesus the guy that you'd rather not invite to the party, right? Everything's kind of hopping, and Jesus walks in, and the record scratches, and everything kind of screeches to a halt. Is that who Jesus is? What is His character? What is He really all about? We actually get a glimpse of that in this wonderful miracle that Jesus does here in John chapter 2. We get a glimpse of who Jesus is, and what John tells us here is that Jesus is a provider, and He is a provider in incredible abundance. As you read through this passage, you get the feel over and over and over that Jesus loves to give good things, that He loves to provide, that He loves to increase joy even, that He loves to lavish good things on His people. What we get here is the idea that Jesus fills and that we are those who are called to come and find our fullness in Him. Let's walk through the passage one more time. We're told that there's a wedding close to where Jesus is at the time, and His mom is part of the wedding, it seems. She either is just there as a guest, but it actually feels like maybe she has a job. She's somehow the hostess in some way. And Jesus is there too. He gets invited along with His disciples, and they come to the wedding. And weddings in those times would have been big parties, huge celebrations. They would have lasted sometimes even for about a week. It was a really pretty great time. And the cost of this big week-long celebration would have fallen on the groom and the groom's family. Now, that's the opposite for us, right? We are used to the cost of the wedding falling on the bride's parents. In this culture, it would have been just the opposite. A friend of mine just got married this year, and he married a woman from Singapore. And he didn't have any idea of what their customs were, so him, being an American, thought, this is great, we'll have a big party, big wedding, it'll be beautiful, and her parents are going to pay for it all. Well, not so much, because in Singapore, the responsibility for the wedding actually falls on the groom. Big surprise for him. That's the way it was in this culture here, where Jesus was, is that the groom had the responsibility of paying for the wedding, but it actually went a little deeper than that is the groom's responsibility was not just for kind of writing the checks, but for really making sure everybody was happy, making sure everybody was having a great time, making sure all the people that he invited to his big party were having the time of their life and were completely cared for. But there's a hiccup in the plans here. Either uh, a bunch of heavy drinkers showed up to the wedding that they weren't expecting, or they miscalculated some number and they have run out of wine. Now, here's where there's a pretty good overlap probably in our culture and theirs. You know, you run out of the little shrimp appetizers and people are disappointed. Oh, dang it, those were good, but it's not that big a deal. 
You ran out of bulletins to pass out at the wedding because more people showed up than you thought. Oh, everybody understands. You ran out of wine? That's a problem. That's like the number one faux pas in party planning, isn't it? Don't run out of wine. And of course, again, in that culture, it would have been a bigger deal. If you did not provide what everybody thought you were supposed to provide, it would actually bring great embarrassment, even shame, upon you and your family. And that's the situation that this groom is in. They have run out of wine, and the party's still supposed to continue, and he is at risk of deep embarrassment. So Mary turns to Jesus. Somehow, again, she knows what's going on, and she grabs him maybe or nudges him with her elbow, and she says, they ran out of wine. And in verse 4, we really could have ended this story, and it would have been fine. Jesus basically would say, hey, that's really not my problem. And again, that would have been an okay answer. In some ways, that would have been a very, you know, emotionally healthy way of responding to say, I'm not going to overfunction for somebody else's problems. That's not where I am. I'm the guest. What's the guest supposed to do? But of course, that's not what Jesus does, is it? This wonderful ending of this story where Jesus comes and he grabs the waiters and he says, all right, here's what I want you to do for me. Go get those big jars, those stone jars that you normally use for the purification rites that they usually hold water and fill them all up with water, six of them, holding 30 gallons each, and go fill them up with water. Now, again, they didn't just run back to the commercial kitchen and, and turn the spigot on and fill them with water, right? Uh, they probably had to carry those big stone jars that would have been cut probably from one big piece of stone turned on a lathe. They were heavy before you put water in them. They carry those to the well, fill them up with water, somehow get them back into the house for the party, and here we are, okay, Jesus, they're all filled with water. <sighs> what do we do now? And Jesus says, okay, take it to the master of the feast, and he'll know what to do with it. So the master of the feast, the guy who's in charge, the kind of manager of this big party, he gets these big, you know, 30-gallon full jugs of water, these, these huge stone basins, and he dips his glass into there, and he pulls out not water, but some of the best wine he's ever tasted. Jesus has just provided six 30-gallon jars of wine. That's 180 gallons of wine, of really good wine. That's just for reference, uh, about 900 bottles of wine, about 75 cases of wine is what Jesus provides for the master of the feast. And when he tastes it, what he tastes is the best wine that they've served all night. And he's astounded, right? Because the normal custom is you've got a little bit of good wine because the good wine's expensive. So you serve the good wine first. And then when people have had a little bit too much wine, then you start to mix in kind of the lesser wine. You serve the bad wine there at the very end because people don't really even know what they're tasting anyway. But the host of this feast has chosen to save the best for last. An incredible display of not only quality, but quantity and liberal use of the best of the best. Wine in the Bible is usually celebrated. Some Christians need to hear that. Drunkenness in the Bible is always condemned. Some Christians need to hear that. But weddings and wine in the Bible are almost always symbols of joy. 
And here we have Jesus combining the two, don't we? And Jesus combining the two in a way that is overwhelming. Jesus provides joy and abundance and provision in a way that is so astounding that nobody could ever understand it. There is so much more good wine than anybody could drink here, even toward the end of the party. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Have it all. I want you to just picture this yourself for a second. A friend invites you over for dinner. And so you decide, hey, it'll be a nice thing to do to go bring a bottle of wine to dinner. So you got H-E-B or Trader Joe's or Total Wine or whatever your kind of place is, and you talk to the wine guy there in the aisle, and you say, hey, I'm going over to a friend's house, and we want to bring a, you know, a, a good but not super expensive bottle of wine, you know, something nicer than we would probably get for ourselves, and he helps you pick out that perfect wine for the, for the salmon and the crostini you know, that you're having that night. And you show up, and you, you have that beautiful bottle of wine, and you feel really good about yourself, and, and they're excited about it. You've given a gift, right, because you show appreciation for them. They've invited you over for dinner, and what you're saying in bringing that bottle of wine is, I honor your dinner, and so I'm bringing you a gift. That's a nice thing to do. Now, think about this, though. If you were invited to maybe a dinner party, it was a little bigger, multiple couples or families there. And you had this idea that, you know what, I really kind of want to be generous. We just got our tax return. I can be a little generous now. So you go and you're on the aisle there and you see the little sign at HEB or Total Wine or whatever your place is, and it says like 25% off for the case. And so you're like, I'll get a case of wine. And you show up to the party and you bring a whole case of wine. I mean, the host is going to be astounded. And what they're going to think is not only is this a nice thing to do, not only are you honoring this party You're investing in this party. You're investing in what we're doing here. If you show up with 180 gallons of wine, with 75 cases of wine, with 900 bottles of wine, you're not just saying, I honor your party. You're not saying, even I want to invest in your party. You're saying, I am the party, right? The party is here. Let's get it started. That is, in a lot of ways, what Jesus is saying to us. He's the party. He is the one who has come to fill and fill to the fullest, to provide and to provide in incredible abundance. He is the one that is going to fill like nothing else. What John is telling us is that there is nothing that will fill you like Jesus will fill you. It's good for me to just pause and, and, and ask here for a second. How has Jesus lately astounded you with His provision? E- even in the midst of the difficulty of this year, how has God shown you His incredible, luxurious, liberal, beautiful, and bountiful provision? How has He shown you how He fills? It's good to simply take note of that, to be able to reflect on it. It's good also to ask the the opposite question, though. What are the things that we do turn to that we think are going to fill us? What are the things that we think are going to fulfill us, that are going to make us happy, that are going to bring us ultimate joy, the places we're going to really find our full satisfaction? What are those things? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Is it the next job 
Is it the next girlfriend? Is it the next experience? Is it the next, you know, nice thing that somebody says to you? What are the things that really make us feel like we're whole? Jesus is going to show us over and over in the Gospel of John that He's the only one that can do that. In the very next chapter, He meets a guy named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is convinced that it's his religious activity that is going to fulfill him. And Jesus tells him very plainly, that will never fill you. You can only be filled with me. In the next chapter, he meets a woman in Samaria who by her actions is convinced that it's actually her experience and even her sexual exploits that are going to fill her. And Jesus tells her very plainly, the only thing that will fill you is me. Friends, Jesus is all we need. But what we see in this passage is that he gives himself so freely, so abundantly, so liberally, so incredibly that we could never hold it. It's like this rain that just keeps falling and keeps coming and keeps coming. So what do we do? How do we respond to this wonderful provision that we see here at this wedding? Well, we actually get the words from Mary here. What she says to the waiters, she says, do whatever he tells you. You know, interestingly, these are the last words recorded of Mary in the gospel account. It's the last thing that we, that we read her saying, but they're pretty good words, aren't they? Good words for the waiters, good words for us. Do what he says. In other words, trust him. Trust Jesus. He not only fills you, but he loves you. One of my favorite movies is um, the movie Three Amigos. Uh, I hope you've all seen it. If you haven't, we're probably not going to be able to be friends. Uh, there's this great scene in Three Amigos uh, where they're, they're riding through the desert uh, in Mexico, and it's just, you know, barren and dry, and everybody's parched with thirst, and they stop to kind of take a drink from their canteens, and, uh, and, and, and Lucky, the first one, like, raises his canteen over his head, and he, and he pours it, and just one little drop falls on his mouth. And then, uh, and then Ned... The second, you know, takes his canteen, raises it, it over his head, and, and not only does water not come out, sand, sand actually just comes out of his canteen, pours all over his mouth. And, uh, and then Dusty, the third, um, takes out his canteen, he opens it up, and he just pours water all over himself. And he's, he's drinking it, but he, he can't even drink it as fast as it's coming out. And it's pouring all over his face. And after he's finally kind of had his fill, he gargles with it and he, he just swishes it around in his mouth. He spits it out. And then he just tosses his half full canteen out into the desert and water just spills around everywhere. And the other two are just looking at him, you know, with these terrible faces of like, oh, what in the world is going on? He takes a little tin out from his pocket, you know, and he says, lip, lip balm, anybody? Sometimes, you know, we can think that way when we hear, oh, Jesus provides, right? Yeah, Jesus provides, but he doesn't really give it always to me. There's some people who've got so much and they're pouring it all over their faces and here's me with one drop or with sand that comes out. We can oftentimes think about that in the way that Jesus provides. But that's not what the, pic the picture that we get here in John 2, is it? In fact, the picture we get here is of a deep deep lake of provision. If you go out to Canyon Lake, not too far from here, Canyon Lake is one of the deepest lakes actually in Texas, somewhere between 125, 135 feet deep, pretty darn deep. 
Uh, the deepest I looked up uh, is actually Lake Travis. At least sometimes it's Lake Travis. Depending on the level of Lake Travis, it's somewhere around 200 feet deep. You know, Lake Tahoe is 1,600 feet deep. A couple of fishermen figured it out actually uh, in about 1875. They took a champagne bottle, weighted it, and put it on a fishing line and just dropped it and then measured how far it dropped, over 1,600 feet deep. Listen to these facts about Lake Tahoe. Uh, Lake Tahoe, if you tipped it over and poured it out on California, it would actually fill the entire state of California in 14 and a half inches of water. That's how much water is in Lake Tahoe. It would cover the entire state of California. Uh, it would provide every American with 50 gallons a day of drinking water for five years. Just the evaporation from Lake Tahoe, just the evaporation would actually supply Los Angeles for five years. And Lake Tahoe is not the largest lake in, this, in the country. <laughs> and it's not even close to the largest lake in the world. Lake Superior is um, 120 times larger than Lake Tahoe. The Caspian Sea is more than 500 times larger than Lake Tahoe. That's the kind of provision that we're talking about. That's the kind of abundance that Jesus is talking about here. He is one who produces beautiful things and does them liberally and incredibly. But here's the catch. What he produces, the abundant beauty that he produces is not a thing. It's a person. He wants to fill us, not with stuff, not with opportunities, not with experiences, not with, not with even other people. He wants to fill us with Him so that we might find our fullness, our complete provision, our abundance in Him and Him alone. Larry Crabb, the author and, and counselor, tells a story of when he was young that uh, he thought, you know, he was about three or four, and he thought, I'll be a big boy, and I'm going to go, you know, to the bathroom all by myself. So not only was he going to, like, go to the bathroom by himself, but he was actually going to go to the bathroom all by himself. And he was upstairs in his house, so he walked up the stairs by himself. He walked into the bathroom, and he thought, you know, what, what big people do is that they close the door and they lock it. So that's what he did. He locked the door. He did his business, and then when he was going to come out of the door, all proud of himself, he, he couldn't figure out how to unlock it. So he was stuck in the bathroom. And he started to panic and, you know, scream for his parents. And here's his mom, you know, at the door, not knowing what's going on. Did you fall? Are you okay? Is everything all right? And he finally, you know, convinced her, yes, everything's fine, but I'm locked in here and I can't get out. And he didn't know it, but actually at the time, his dad had kind of run to the garage, gotten the tallest ladder, and leaned the ladder up against the window, and he had climbed up and undone the window and climbed into the bathroom. And so little Larry was there with his dad, who comes in, has unlocked the door for him, and Larry went and ran and played. Now, here's the reason I tell you that story. It's because sometimes I think we can think, um, you know, even rightfully, that's a great picture of, of, of God for us. He's the one that comes in and, and, and helps us when we're in trouble. He's the one that comes in and kind of unlocks the doors that we can't unlock for ourselves. But, you know, that's actually a very childish way of thinking about who God is. Because the way that Jesus pictures himself here is, yes, the one who provides. Yes, the one who provides abundantly. But he's not here just to open the doors that we want opened. 
He's here to come in and give himself to us. And there are times, you know, I think where what we really want is God to open this door in the next portion of our life. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's just a breakthrough in an existing relationship. Maybe it's, you know, something financial, and we really need God to open that door, and He doesn't. Then what do we think about Him? But what Jesus is telling us here is that when that time comes, and we are wondering, who is this guy Jesus? I'm not even sure what to think about Him. That what He tells us is that He is a Savior who provides abundantly. And he doesn't always want to open the doors for us. He just wants to sit down and give us himself. He wants to be with us, and he wants us to know that he is what we need most fundamentally. Maybe one of the striking pieces in this passage was when Jesus talks to his mother in verse 5, and he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. What's he talking about there? Well, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus' hour is the hour of his crucifixion. It's the hour of his death. It's the hour even of the combination of his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And Jesus tells us very plainly here, he tells his mother, that time has not come yet. But then he does something incredible. He gives everybody a glimpse of it. (laughs) The provision is so much deeper than the wine. The provision is so much deeper than the things that you think you need in this life. The provision that Jesus talks about is the thing we need most. It is to save us from ourselves. The way that the Bible talks about humanity is that we are empty jars, (laughs) is that we cannot be made right with God on our own. And isn't it beautiful to see the heart of Jesus on display here? that He comes not just to produce joy and to increase provision and to really make a great party, but to also tell everybody, let me set the stage for you of what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide in a way you never thought anybody could provide. I'm going to provide in a way that you thought was completely impossible. I'm going to give you myself. Friends, He is calling us to cling to Him today. He's calling us to cling to Him for salvation for provision. He's calling us to find our fullness in Him. Let's pray that He enables us to do that even today. Our Father in heaven, You have given us the gift of Your Son, a Son whose character is on such beautiful display here, one who loves to give, one who loves to fill, one who loves to produce joy and abundance, and one who has come to fill our deepest need. Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts to you, that we would cling to you, not just for salvation, but for the things that we feel are lacking in our lives, that we would find our fullness in you, that we would be able to pray as the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that being rooted and grounded in love, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Will you do this amazing thing in us even today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.